Have you ever asked a question of someone and you received an answer that you were totally not expecting? You ask an answer, a question, and the answer comes back, and it's like, I wasn't even thinking that way. Here are some unexpected answers that kids have given on tests. Find a difference between eight and six, and the student wrote, eight is all curly, six is not. Here is a finance question named Frankie. I earn money at home by I don't. I'm a freeloader. <laughs> or how about this one? If the shoe fits, buy it in every color. <laughs> uh, yeah, some of you are like, yes, that's what I do. Uh, think of different addition strategies. Write or draw two ways you can solve four plus three. The first way, use your fingers. And way number two, use your head. Not at all what this, the teacher was asking of the students. But the students gave an answer that could be plausible in some cases. God gave Habakkuk an answer he wasn't expecting. Habakkuk asked God a question, and God said, I see the injustice, I see the sin of my people in Judah, and my remedy for this situation is I'm going to bring the Babylonians, who are far more ruthless and far more evil to punish those less ruthless and less evil in Judea. God gave Habakkuk an answer, then which led to another question. It leads Habakkuk to lead and present another complaint. And so today we're going to walk through the response Habakkuk then gives to God's answer. God's response was this. The Babylonians are being used for judgment. And Habakkuk is like, what? That's not the answer I was expecting. You see, God was right earlier in the book of Habakkuk in chapter 1 and verse 5. Habakkuk says, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. And so God tells Habakkuk, and guess what? Habakkuk doesn't believe it. God said, I told you you wouldn't believe it if I told you. And I told you, and you didn't believe it. Told you. And so we leave Habakkuk, and he's more perplexed. And Habakkuk is appalled at the answer that God gave him to his first complaint. Habakkuk complained about the sin and the lawlessness in Judea. This was God's people. And Habakkuk looked around. He said, Lord, your people are treacherous. There is violence. There is iniquity. There is destruction and violence and strife and contention. And this is your people. What are you going to do about it? And God says, I'm going to bring the Babylonians in. Judgment was on his way. The Babylonians would take them captive just as God had said. And Habakkuk was appalled that God would use an evil instrument to bring judgment and punish Judah. Habakkuk expressed his concern and then he started to question God. You see, what happened was Habakkuk's theological system is unable to cope with life's realities. If your theological system, the framework of your theology, the framework of how you view God is unable to cope with life's realities, you need to change your theology. Life is real. There are real things that happen in life. God created this world, and it is real. And so if my theology doesn't line up with what is real, what is really happening, then my theology is askew. And so God told Habakkuk, we have, uh, I'm bringing the Babylonians, and Habakkuk asked a question, and Habakkuk gives this response. Habakkuk's response is similar to this. Say what? That's what he did. Say what? There was actual footage archaeologists have discovered of Habakkuk 
given the answer to God's question. So we're so glad this has been preserved, ancient words for us to see and hear. But Habakkuk's response to God was, say what? No way, Lord. There is no way that you are going to do what you just said that you're going to do. And so in Habakkuk's say what, we get to chapter 1, verse 12. Let's follow along. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them, that's the Babylonians, as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You, who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So Habakkuk asks God a question. God answers the question. Habakkuk goes, say what? And then he asks another question. You see, he was expecting God to answer in a way that he wanted, not in the way that God answered. And so I want to walk through this little section again in Habakkuk today to help us with those questions. But we ask God a question or we look at reality and our, we, in our heads we just go, what? Is this really happening? I, I can't believe I'm seeing what I'm seeing. Or I can't believe God's response to this. So here's some things that we can put into practice coming from Habakkuk chapter, the end of chapter 1 and the first verse in chapter 2. So what happens in our lives? What can we do in our lives when we don't get the answer we want and we have these say what moments? Things don't turn out like we had hoped. Things don't turn out like we had wanted. Or things are going south really fast. Well, here's some things that we can do. First thing is this. In a sea of confusion, cling to God's holy character. That's what Habakkuk did. Look at verse 12. Here's what Habakkuk does. He reaffirms belief in God who is what? Everlasting Lord. O Lord, my God, my Holy One. He says, are you not from everlasting? The answer, the question is, is, a, is a re, a requiring an affirmative reply. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, Lord, you are from everlasting. Are you not? And the answer is yes, affirmatively. He is from everlasting. God is the Holy One of Israel. And it's the Holy One of Israel who the Babylonians have set themselves up against. And so Habakkuk says, in this confusion... Lord, I don't understand how you're doing this or why you're doing this. But in this confusion, look what Habakkuk says. Lord, you are everlasting. Oh, Lord. What's the word that he uses? What's that pronoun? Tell me. Oh, Lord, my God. My Holy One. See what Habakkuk does? He's clinging. He's clinging to my God. My Holy One. 
He's, he's reaffirming God's character. And even though I'm confused, even though I don't understand, I'm holding on to God. And so how does he describe God? He says, oh God, you are what? A rock. You are a rock. Job chapter 6, verse 10. Job says this, this would be my comfort. I would even exalt in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Job says, even though in my pain and in my confusion, I've not denied God's words. I've held on to my Holy One. 1 Samuel 2.2. 2. You should have heard that already this morning. There is none like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. None. In Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock. You see the repetition of my, my, in whom I take refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So the psalmist, Habakkuk, Job, the Old Testament saints, what did they do? In this confusing life, they hung on to the character of God. My God, my rock. In fact, Habakkuk says, we shall not die. In verse 12, why would he say that? Because he knew God was going to be faithful to the covenant that he made with his people. And that he would not wipe us out completely because he still has a purpose for his people. What's the purpose? The purpose is the Messiah to bring forth Jesus. The Messiah hasn't come. And so, Lord, you're not going to wipe us out yet. I know that. I don't understand all that's going on, but I can cling to your holy character. In this chaotic storm, what did Habakkuk do? He grasped the rock of the steadfast Lord. What do you grab onto in life when there's storms? Where, where do you stand? Do you know why God is called a rock? I can stand firm. The rock is firm. There's nothing in life that's firm. Do you know that? Nothing. Everything is on shaky ground in life. We die. We get sick. Things end, things come, things go. There's nothing permanent in this world. It is all temporary. But the rock that we stand on is who? My rock and my God. We need a firm place to stand. You ever use that saying? It feels like the rug has been pulled out from under me. Now, I don't recommend trying it. But if you did and you had the rug, where would you end up? On your tuchus, on the floor. Because why? The stability that I had, now I am swept and I fall. And so in life, Habakkuk is saying, I have my rock, my God. No matter all the craziness in life, God is the rock that will not be moved. However the world is shaken or man's faith wavers, God remains unshaken as the rock of ages. Isn't that great news? He's the unshakable rock in a world where everything is moving. And we need a place to stand firm in life. And so, God, so Habakkuk got this answer. And he says, well, the first place that I can stand is here. My rock and my God, this everlasting God. And so I need to hang on to this. And so in a sea of confusion, in a sea of turmoil, this questioning where we're just going, Lord, I don't know what's going on. One thing we can do is what? Is we can cling to God's holy character. He is the surety in our life. But the second thing Habakkuk teaches us is this that we can wrestle with the questions to gain God's perspective. We talked already in Habakkuk that God's silence is a concern for many of God's people. But look what he says in verse 13. He says, Lord, uh, your, your, your eyes are pure to see evil. 
And, and why do you idly look at traitors? You know what Habakkuk is saying to the Lord? Lord, why don't you care? Why are you, why are you looking? But it doesn't seem like you're, you're doing anything as they swallow up more and you remain silent. Habakkuk was wrestling with these questions. You know why? Because he needed to gain God's perspective on what God was doing in history. Habakkuk had his little perspective. Lord, yes, your people are sinful, but the Babylonians? <laughs> of all people, the Babylonians? The Lord's like, yep, I'm going to do it. And so Habakkuk, in this questioning, what does he need to do? He, gets to, he needs to get what? God's perspective on the situation. Listen, God... God is the one who's in charge of history. God is the one who's moving history, not Habakkuk, not you and not me. And so we can either yell at God and rail at God, or we can wrestle with those questions. And why do we wrestle? We wrestle to get some clarity. We wrestle with God's silence. We wrestle with why God seems to idly look at the treacherous. The burning question for Habakkuk is this. Why would the everlasting God, the absolute holy one, use a wicked people to administer justice on Judah? It just doesn't seem right. And isn't it in our questioning, in our sense of justice, and our sense of fairness, isn't that where we wrestle a lot in life? Lord, this just isn't fair. Lord, why doesn't it seem like those who are evil get justice? Lord, why? And this is where we, we, we are wrestling. And so what Habakkuk does is he seems to suggest, he says, Lord, you who are pure eyes than evil, right? You should have prevented the Babylonians from oppressing Judah. But you're using the Babylonians to judge them. And what, what Habakkuk does is, he shifts the problem from the sin of the people to who? To the sovereign Lord. Oh, aren't we good at that? Like, we don't see the problems. Like, I'm an idiot, and I'm just causing carnage in my life, and I'm destroying people and relationships. I don't see that. I'm mad at God for why he doesn't do something. And we shift the focus. But I need to wrestle with the questions. And you know what's going to happen in the questioning? I'm going to get God's perspective because God sees the things that we don't see. We may never know and probably will never know the things that God sees because we're not eternal. And so we talk through it with God. Learning comes from listening. In the Old Testament, there is a story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were twins. They were being born. Remember Jacob, uh, Esau was being born. Jacob came and he's called deceiver. And so he followed through on his life, and his father uh, was prepared. Uh, Esau was a hunter and, and uh, prepared stew for his father. And the Bible says that uh, Jacob's mother overheard this and said, Hey, I know what you can get in favor with your dad. You prepare the stew that Esau likes. And Jacob's like, Yeah, but he's a hairy, he's a hairy guy. What are we going to do? Mom's like, No problem. We'll put some goat hair on you. He's, not, he's hard to he, uh, sight anyway. We can, you know, like, I've been out all night and come back, and he didn't even know. So this is going to be good, right? I'll put some, put some fur on you, and you'll smell like him and go with this dude. So he's in Isaac, and I was like, you know, you, you kind of sound like Jacob, but, oh, you feel, like, you feel like Esau. Can't see you, but you smell, right? And so what happens is he stole, he stole Esau's birthright. Now, if you've ever had some friction in your family, you know that these things do not go well. If you got something that belonged to somebody else in your family, you know you probably haven't talked to them, right? It's, just, it's a family dynamic. And so Jacob and Esau were at odds. And so finally, they're going to come back and they're going to meet each other. And so Jacob sends the, his, his family and the herds, he sends them on. And the Bible says, but he stayed and he, went to go, he wanted to go to sleep. But, uh, but the Lord comes, the, the man of the Lord comes and wrestles with Jacob. And as 
they were wrestling, the man of God, it says in Genesis 32, broke Jacob's hip, knocked it out of joint. From that day on, Jacob walked with a limp. But you know what else happened? His name was changed. Genesis 32, 28. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. And I I love that phrase. You struggled with God. There's nothing wrong with struggling with God. But remember this, you probably will walk with a limp afterwards. God doesn't cry uncle when we're trying to twist his arm. He's like, I'm God, you're not. I'm not crying uncle, but we cry out, my God, my holy one. But our names will be changed. We will be different for it. Jacob's name was changed. Why? Because he struggled with God. Sometimes we just need to have a struggle with the Lord instead of pretending everything is fine. Pretending everything is good. Quit living in denial and just just have it out with God. Jacob did. He struggled. He, he walked with a limp, but he always remembered, my, I'm different now. I'm, I, my name has been changed. And so Habakkuk is in this place. He's wrestling with God. There's, there's a sin of the people. And God says, I'm bringing this, the Babylonians this uh, impending judgment. And so here's Habakkuk. And where is he sitting? He's in this place. And he says, Lord, I see the sin of your people. They're doing awful things. Why don't you do something about it? God says, I'm going to do something about it. Habakkuk's like, I don't like what you're going to do about it. It's a hard place to be, isn't it? We're frustrated and we're anxious and we're uncertain and things are shaky and we don't know how they're going to end up, but we don't know where they're going. And we've all been in those places of uncertainty and of anxiousness and of heartache and of loss and of of all those things. And here's one thing that we know is faith looks different in the midst of conflict. Habakkuk says, Lord, I see the traitors. I see the injustice. Don't you see it? You see what Habakkuk is doing? He's in the midst of this hard time. And somehow he's looking to the Lord. He's like, Lord, why don't you see what I see? He's he's wanting to instruct the Lord. And this is why Christian platitudes, when they are given, when we're in the midst of the struggle, leave us more bewildered and questioning. Listen, God does work all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called to his purpose. But you know, the only people quoting that verse are people who are not in a hard time. And they're telling somebody who's in a hard time that Romans 8, 28. So what they're saying is you just need to get over it. God's working this all together for good. And what happens is faith looks different in the midst of heartache. And so those words, yes, those words are true, aren't they? God does work together for good. But doesn't it look different in the midst of the struggle? That's where we wrestle. That's why we say, God, is this going to work out for good? I don't see how it's going to happen. Sometimes we say, God, are you good? And so in the midst of the struggle, it falls on a heavy heart that is suffering, much like Job's friends. Well, you got to go back and read the book of Job again. That's what his friends were doing. Here's Job, and he's suffering, and he had lost so very much in life, and his friends were coming, and all they were doing was giving him all this theology about why you ought to admit your blame, admit your fault, 
move on in life. And Job's like, you don't get it. I didn't do anything to deserve this. It's, 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 it's part of what's happened. And his Job's just, and you know what Job called them? Miserable comforters. Miserable comforters. If you're trying to just throw verses at people when they are in the midst of pain and heartache and suffering, you may be a miserable comforter. Why don't you just sit and cry with them? Why don't you just sit and pray? Why don't you cook a meal and take it over? But we don't have to offer all of these things. Why? Because faith looks different in the midst of the circumstance. In light of God's character, Habakkuk seemed that he was justified to ask God, why don't you do this? Luther, Martin Luther said this about Habakkuk. He says, he speaks to God interrogatively, asking whether he will do this and only punish, not that he has any doubt on the subject, but that he shows how faith, this is Habakkuk, shows how faith is sustained in the midst of conflicts. And here's how faith is sustained in the midst of conflicts. That it appears as weak as if it did not believe. For although faith stands firm, yet it cracks, and it speaks in a very different tone when in the midst of conflict from what it does when victory is gained. When we're in the midst of struggle and conflict, listen, your faith looks different. It doesn't mean you don't have faith. And don't allow people to put that on you and say, well, if you just had more faith, and you look at them and say, my pastor told me to tell you, you are a miserable comforter. It looks different in the midst of suffering. And, in, and so, so the purity of God... Listen, Habakkuk was trying to say, God, you are pure and here is the evil. And what Habakkuk was trying to do is he was trying to say, Lord, here's your purity and here's the evil I see. Your purity, because you are totally pure, is supposed to somehow outweigh the treachery. And so now you're supposed to do something. But Habakkuk was missing the point is that God's holiness is not compared to our unrighteousness. It is over our unrighteousness. It's not a scale, but it's a degree that is totally above. And God's like, Habakkuk, you know, I think I got this. My holiness, it's not weighed against the Judeans' unrighteousness or the Babylonians' right. My holiness is above everything. You're missing the point here. You're trying to put us in a scale. God, listen, God is not equal to any man. God is not equal to any nation. God is above and beyond all of those things because he's not a man. But he's a divine being who loves us. So Habakkuk was in a dilemma. He's like, Lord... Your holiness should cause you to do something. But this dilemma is where we wrestle. Job 19.7 says this, Though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. Psalm 73, David says this, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet. I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. David says this, in my confusion and when my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I'm a brute beast, but I am a brute beast holding the hand of God. 
It's like the mother walking through Walmart whose kid doesn't want to go and she's pulling him, sliding him on the floor. We're going to go. He's screaming and kicking. That's me and God. I'm a brute beast, but he still got me by the hand. Does that mean I don't have faith? No, because I'm holding on too. But I'm a brute beast, but I'm holding on by faith. And so your faith looks different in the midst of conflict. The enemy would like nothing more to say to you. You have no faith. God doesn't care. God doesn't love you. God's not going to do anything. And you say, no, my faith just looks different in the midst of conflict. It just does. The world looks different. You know, when you have a cold or the flu, doesn't the world just look different? Man, you don't want to get out of the house. You don't want to open the windows. But when you're feeling good, you're up and you're out of there. That's how it is with our faith. I still have faith. It just looks different in the midst of conflict. So Habakkuk goes into this dialogue with God. You know what else Habakkuk teaches us? The fourth thing is this. Brace yourself for the answer. Now, here's what Habakkuk was doing. Lord, you and I are going to have this little discussion. I don't necessarily see it from your perspective, but I'm really wanting you to see it from my perspective, and I really want you to do things how I think you should do them. And so Habakkuk goes, and he starts questioning God. And if you follow through the book of Job, who is similarly in this place of confusion and hurt and pain, at the very end of the book of Job, after all his friends give all this advice... Job 38 verse 1 says this, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Now God's asking the questions. And you know what God says? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. You see, what happens is in our wrestling, we wrestle and we ask the questions but we need to brace ourselves for the answer. Why? Because oftentimes our questions are just leading questions. You know what a leading question is? A leading question subtly looks for the answer. It prompts the, the, the respondent to answer in a particular way. For example, I ask, do you have any problems with your boss? What am I assuming? I'm assuming you have problems with your boss, and I want you to tell me about them. Or in a court case, how fast was the red car going when it smashed into the blue car? What I'm assuming is, is that the red car caused the accident. It implies that the red car was at fault. fault. And so here's what Habakkuk is doing. Habakkuk is, is having these leading questions of God. God, aren't you pure? And what's he want God to say? Oh, yes, Habakkuk, I am pure. Therefore, I'm not going to bring the Babylonians against you. God, don't you hear our prayers? Why, yes, Habakkuk, I do hear your prayers. And since you prayed to me, I'm going to answer your prayer how you want your prayer. You see, sometimes, sometimes our questions of God are leading questions. We're asking God to get the answer we want. We need to act with care, not using our questions to give God the answer that we've already assumed that he's going to get. This was Habakkuk's problem. Habakkuk was asking questions of God, and he wanted God to answer in the way he wanted. And when God didn't answer the way he wanted, he was left confused and perplexed. We do this with people all the time. A girlfriend says to her boyfriend, if you could time travel back to any period in history, would your love for me keep you from going? 
you're the boy. What are you going to say? Um, man, I really like the, but no, I'm going to stay. Or the wife says to her husband, do you think this dress makes me look fat? Or a child comes up to you. Mom, dad, which one of your kids is, the favorite, is your favorite? They're not asking you to say your brother and sister. They're asking you to say, well, you are, honey, of course. Or the boss comes to you and says, you're not really wanting to leave early today, are you? And you're like, no. Why? Leading questions, right? But we do that with God. Habakkuk is saying, God, do you really know what you're doing? And so he must have realized this when we get to chapter 2 and verse 1. What does he say? I will take my stand at the watch post and station myself on the tower. I will look to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now, the word for complaint is better reproof or reprimand. Here's what Habakkuk is saying. I, how am I going to answer God after I've just reprimanded him? That's pretty much what Habakkuk is saying. I've just reprimanded God for not doing what I think he should be doing. And so I'm asking all these questions. And now I've got to brace myself because God's going to come back with an answer. And it may not be an answer that I like. Habakkuk loves figures of speech. If you've noticed in this little book, there's about 46 figures of speech. He says the Babylonians are like this and they're like that. And he goes into this little figure of speech about the Babylonians and the nets and the dragnets and the people, the fish are the conquered people and the Babylonians are the fishermen and the dragnet is the military ease of which the Babylonians come in and they just scoop up the, the Judeans and like helpless fish, they gather them up. But here's what Habakkuk says is that they empty their nets and they're going to refill them. And they worship their nets. They worship their power. And so Habakkuk is saying, Lord, these Babylonians are going to come in and just scoop us up and they're going to empty just to refill again. Is there ever going to be any end to this? Habakkuk is already assuming that God doesn't know what he's doing. And so he's in another dilemma. And so Habakkuk is laying these charges against God. But listen, when you question God, we have to be ready to brace ourselves for the answer. The answer we don't necessarily want to hear. Can we just be honest for a moment? Is it a lot of the time we wrestle with God and we question God and we wonder to God, is we just want him to come back and say to us, you know, you're right. You're not at fault. You're my perfect child. You never do anything wrong. I can't believe this is happening to you. You're right. Or our why questions of God. Sometimes we ask those why questions. And don't we want God just to come back and say, you know, you're right. I didn't know what I was doing this whole time. And me, who did I think I was? The eternal, non-created God who created everything you see that somehow I didn't know what I was doing. But I'm glad you pointed that out to me. And now I'm going to change and do what you want me to do. And sometimes in our questioning, we're not really looking for the answer that God gives us, but we're looking for the answer we want God to give us. And then we miss the answer. We just need to brace ourselves for God's answer sometimes because God is the God of the universe and we are not. And he gives us answers. He gives us answers that we weren't looking for, just like the students on the test. Kim Butts of Harvest Prayer Ministry says this, The most common reason God seems silent is that we have already determined what the answer we want to hear or see is before we actually ask God. In other words, we make the decision about the answer rather than waiting on the answer God wishes to give. We don't ask God to do what he feels is best in our situation, 
or someone else's. We're just asking God for him to do what we feel is best in our situation. And don't we see that in the life of Habakkuk? He's wrestling. He wants to know why. Why, Lord, all the injustice? Aren't you going to do something about it? And God says, yes, by the way, I am going to do something about it. I'm going to bring these awful people in, and they're going to execute judgment and punishment. And back is like, well, that's not really the answer I was looking for. And so he goes into this next cycle of questioning and of trying to instruct God. You see, here's the thing about God's answers that we learn from the life of Habakkuk and also the life of Jesus The answer we don't want is sometimes the answer we need. The answer we don't want in God's perfect wisdom and holiness and righteousness, his foreknowledge, his all-powerfulness, God's going to give us the right answer always, always, always. But sometimes it's not the answer that we want. Sometimes we just struggle with that. You know, the disciples struggled with that as well. In Matthew chapter 16, there's this great interaction between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus says to Peter and the disciples, who do people say that I am? He kind of wanted to know what the word on the street was. And the disciples say, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. And Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And then Peter, in this great moment of divine inspiration, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He has this great moment. Well, that's the first part of chapter 16. And then in verse 21, we read this. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And the disciples are like, say what? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Wouldn't you love to have been there? Here's Peter assuming to instruct Jesus. Like Habakkuk is assuming to instruct the Lord, just like Jeff assumes to instruct the Lord. We take him aside, right? From our perspective out, it looks kind of silly, but we do that. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. What does Jesus say? Peter, you're right. What was I thinking? Cross? Crucifixion? You're right. I never thought. No, what does Jesus do? He says, Get behind me, Satan. Satan's adversary, right? You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, the answer the disciples wanted was not the answer that Jesus gave, but what did he give them? The answer that they needed. Why? Because they needed saved from their sin, just like you and I. You see, the cross was God's answer. It wasn't the answer the disciples wanted. They wanted Jesus to stick around. They wanted him to stay around. They didn't want him to have to suffer. But Jesus says to Peter, your mind is not on the things of God. And that's why through our questioning, we gain God's perspective. We say, Lord, help me. I might be looking at this wrong. We all had a chance of being wrong this year so far, maybe once or twice, right? But God's like, maybe if you ask some questions... You might just see the answer isn't what you think it is. It might be something within. So God's not surprised by our questions. But listen, sometimes we're surprised by his answers. God never says, I never saw that one coming. I I don't know what to do about that. But often, aren't we surprised by his answers? 
Because we had, we were, we were, had this leading question. We had this idea of what God should do. And it's interesting throughout Scripture and in our own lives how we're instructing God of what He should do and what He shouldn't do. And then we're frustrated and we're disappointed. And God's like, wait a minute. If you would just get my perspective on things, you're going to see that this is the best thing. Even though the best thing isn't what you wanted, I know this is the best thing that you need. See, silence can cause concern for us until we often realize God is a silent partner in our lives. He's just working. He's just doing the thing. In his providence and in his foreknowledge and in his omnipotence, he's working and he's moving, and we don't see it because we are expecting him to do what we want him to do instead of seeing what he is doing. So he tells, Jesus tells Peter, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. You see, faith looks different in confusion. Why? Because we just say, Lord, get me out of this. But God's like, wait a minute. I can do some great things in the storm. I can do some things in your life. That if I just let you go and let you get out of this storm, you're going to be the same miserable person you were before you got in this storm. And I want you to realize you're not self-reliant. You're not self-made. You're not all of that in a bag of chips. And I want you in this for a while to evaluate and to look at your life. And you may come to the place like Job and say, Lord, I didn't do anything wrong. And God's like, yes, now you're seeing it. But you may come to that place where the Lord's like, you know, you're kind of a jerk. You're in this because you're kind of a jerk. Now, what can I do in your life? You see, the answer we don't want is sometimes the answer we need. Because God is more concerned about our character than our comfort. He wants to change us in the midst of something. The second thing that we know from the life of Jesus and even Habakkuk as they were taken over by the Babylonians is this. Is that victory sometimes looks like defeat. Habakkuk says to the Lord, he says this, Lord, there is a more ferocious people. They're coming in and they're going to overrun your people. Your people that you have called out from Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis. You're calling them out and they, yes, they're wicked and they're treacherous. But Lord, going into exile, this looks like defeat. But you know what happens? They return from exile. And they come back and they resettle. And they come back and they live again in the land. You know what happens a couple hundred years later? Jesus is born right at the place God wanted him to be born. Look in your Bibles in Acts chapter 2. This is that place where victory sometimes looks like defeat. In Acts chapter 2, on the the day of Pentecost, the day the church was birthed, Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words in verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Say, what? Lord, I thought you were going to save us. God's like, didn't you hear me? I said this was my definite plan. So in the plan of the cross came our salvation. Sometimes victory looks like defeat. Now go on to the next verse. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You see what happened on Good Friday? It looked like defeat, but on Easter Sunday was what? Victory. 
And what looks like defeat sometimes is the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God that he's moving in a way. Who would have expected a resurrection? The disciples did. They were all surprised. Jesus, what are you doing? He's like, guys, I've been telling you I was going to be handed over. I was going to be killed. I was going to, but you didn't understand. But here I am. See, sometimes in our lives, victory looks like defeat. And God says, you trust me. You hang on to my character. You cling to my character in the midst of the storm. Your faith is going to look different in the midst of this storm. But, but st- you still have faith. Even when Peter stepped out of the boat and he said, Lord, I want to come to you. And Peter was walking on the water. Even when he started to sink, Jesus reached down. And what did he do? He said, bye. No, what did he do? He picked him back up. And I hold on to the hands of the Lord when I'm just being a brute beast. My faith looks different. It's not the faith that I'm going to put on Facebook. It's not the faith that I'm going to testify to, but it's there. You just hang on. You're that brute beast. It always amazes me, the professional dog walkers that are walking the dogs. Or rather, the dogs are walking the professional dog walker. They want to go this way. Whoa, I'm going to go this way. But God, we're like those little lap dogs. We're those little beasts. And God's walking. We're holding his hand. It's still faith, but it just looks different. Don't give it up. You hang on because why? Because sometimes defeat, it looks like it's the end, but there's a resurrection. There is a resurrection. Habakkuk didn't understand that. We don't understand that sometimes. But God says, listen, you wrestle. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. You don't have it all figured out. Can you trust me? Can you trust me? Can you, can you just hold on one more day? And then one more day? And then one more day? And I'm going to lead you out of this. You don't know how. You don't see the way. But guess what? I know the way. Listen, God is always there. Always. And Habakkuk reminds us it's okay to question. But in the questioning, we see from God's perspective. Man, I, don't you wish sometimes that the physical curtains of this life would just be lifted and we could see the spiritual reality of all that God's doing? We would be amazed. It's going to happen one day, just not today. We're either going to get there by death or Jesus' return, but it'll happen. But in this moment, we're like Habakkuk. We say, Lord, why? God's like, can you trust me? Can you hang on just for one more day? Would you please stand and we're going to pray. Just allow God to work in your life and your questioning and that sea of confusion. The thing we can hold on to is our rock. We can stand on the rock. We have a firm place to stand. Father, we thank you for that prophet Habakkuk that some of us maybe haven't even heard his name until today. But God, how we can so understand life. We so want you to do it our way. And and we question and we complain just to try to get you to do it our way. But God, your way is the perfect way. So this morning, wherever sea of confusion we're in, wherever that shaky ground is that we're standing on, God, will we stand on you, our rock? 
Would we hang on to you even as that brute beast? Father, would we, would we cling to your holy character even in the midst? God, understand our faith, it does. It just looks different in the storm, but it doesn't mean we don't have faith. It's our faith that keeps pressing us on to take one more step and to hang on for one more day. It's a faith that looks weak, but it's very, very strong. Because we're holding on with all that we've got. And you're holding on with all you are. So, Father, over these next few moments, wherever sea of confusion, whatever shaky ground we are on, wherever we find ourselves, may we simply come back to that place to know that even though the world is arrayed against us at times, that you, you will deliver us. Oh, my God, do not delay. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.